Sunday school. I'm going to tell you the story, Self One Seed. Once there was a farmer that planted M&Ms in his garden. In the middle of the night, Hello Kitty came and stole the M&Ms. And then he plants them again. Batman comes and takes them away. He planted more, and then this guy named Roy came and ate some of a lot of M&Ms too. And, and then he plants them again and then tree will come. The big tree with M&Ms on it. And then the M&Ms were on the tree and then they all fell down. And Hello Kitty Batman and Roy all came and ate them all up and they let the farmer have some too. That's the end. Hey, Cornerstone, man, it's good to be here. Glad you made it. I, we've got a conversation today that I, I am just super excited about. I think it's going to bring a whole bunch of health to us. I think it has the capacity to change some of our relationships with other people and put them on the right track. And I, just, I think you're in the right room today. And so I'm glad that you're here and part of it. Okay, grab a seat. All right, so here we go. Uh, we're landing a series that we've been calling Sunday School. If you were a kid growing up in church, chances are you had this Sunday School experience. Uh, you sat in a room uh, on Sunday mornings. There was this really, really old lady there, probably like 160 years old. Uh, and, and, and for some reason, Sunday School teachers are always huge. They're like six foot five, 350 pounds. I don't know why, but they are. And the interesting thing was is that somehow this Sunday school teacher seemed to know the deepest, most profound answers to life. You sat in awestruck amazement that apparently they knew the entire Bible, probably because they were there when it was written. And, and so, but here's what we said to ourselves. As cool as that was and great experience it was, what if, what if you could have sat in Sunday school with Jesus? What if you could have said in a moment when Jesus was sitting there and explaining the most vital parts of life? That would be like the best Sunday school class ever. And so that's what we've been doing uh, the last few weeks is we've gone to moments when Jesus would stop with his disciples and go, whoa, 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 time to hold class and would just begin to unpack life and explain how it was supposed to work. And you and I have had the opportunity to go to Sunday school at the very feet of God himself as he explains how life works. Today, we're going to sit in a class uh, in which Jesus explains what to do when relationships are getting broken. What do you do when something that seemed like it was going the right direction, it seemed like you're heading the right way, and then all of a sudden they or, or, or I responded by, and now all of a sudden that relationship is running off in the ditch. What do you do in moments when relationally, there is a breaking or a tear. How do you respond to that? And Jesus is going to walk us through step by step. Here's what you do when you've blown up a relationship. So grab your Bibles. It's Matthew chapter 18. If you're not completely familiar today, uh, if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of Matthew. And I just want to say, today's one of the days you want to be sure, if you can, to have a Bible open. We've got Bibles, we'll loan you, but you're going to want your Bible, because there's some key words in this passage that you're going to want to see as Jesus unpacks them for you and me. So it's Matthew chapter 18. Here's Jesus holding Sunday school, talking about broken relationships. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15, uh, here's what Jesus says. 
If your brother or sister, now guys, 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 this isn't, this isn't just talking about your siblings. This isn't your physical brother, sister. It's talking about, I think, more than just even your brother and sister in church, because sometimes we say that, hey, that's my brother in Christ, that's my sister in Christ. I think in this case, he's just saying, these are people you do life with. These are the people that you're living in proximity to, okay? If your brother or your sister sins, next word. Okay, that was, that was really bad. Um, the people in Scottsdale got that one, okay? So let's, let's try it again. If your brother or your sister sins, go, go, and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. Now, guys, guys, this is a big deal. Because, 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 you ready for this? What Jesus just asked you and I to do is absolutely counterintuitive. See, the reality is, let's just be honest, when our brother or sister sins against us, rather than going, we tend to withdraw. We tend to go, hey, wait a minute, you just hurt me, and I'm not going to give you the opportunity to hurt me like that again. And we actually begin to pull back instead of pushing forward. As a matter of fact, here's what we're hoping for. We're hoping that the person who hurt our feelings, the person who sinned against us, will immediately realize how grievous what they did was. And that the next time they see us, they will come to us cowering, hopefully on their knees, pleading, I'm so sorry for that thing that I did to you. And in that moment, we benevolently will consider <laughs> whether or not we're letting them off the hook. Here's the problem. Have you noticed that the vast, 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 vast majority of the time when someone does something wrong to us, they just go on with their life as if nothing had happened. And so suddenly you and I are in the room, they come walking in, and they just go on like everything's okay which only causes you and me to be that much more frustrated and angry. And so, mustering all the maturity we possibly can, we pout. <laughs> and then, apparently, because they are socially retarded and don't understand what they've done, uh, we play the silent treatment on them. You know, we go off to the side, and they say, Hi, how are you doing? You go, talking to me? I ain't talking to you. And watch what Jesus just did. Jesus said, look, 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 you do that, you get that's disastrous. You, you get there's no healing on the other side of that behavior. And so Jesus in this moment says, look, if somebody's wounded you, if somebody's hurt you, and if in that moment you're going, you know what, hey, hey, this is a big deal. In other words, this isn't, hey, you know what, okay, they, they were a little rude, and I'm, I'm just going to overlook it. Or, but somebody's done something, you go, man, that's a big deal. I, I don't want to deal with that the rest of my life. If this is a big deal, then Jesus says, you, you, the wounded one, go. Which in this moment, think about it, Jesus just put the shoe entirely on the other foot and says, hey, if, this, if you see it, if you know it's broken, then you go and you initiate the conversation. Back to the passage. Starting in verse 15 again, if your brother or sister sins, go. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won. 
And you're going, that's so cool. I love Jesus. I get to win the argument. That is so great. I, if I'd have known that going and confronting them was going to cause me to win, I would have gone a long time ago. Jesus didn't say go win the argument. He didn't say go prove you're right. Watch what he said to do. If they listen to you, you have won them over. He didn't say, hey, go, go establish your rightness and their wrongness. Go win their hearts. Win them. Win them back to doing life with you. Figure out how to fix the separation. Don't win the battle. Get them to join you in life. Which means, are you ready for this? That if you and I are going to win our brothers and sisters, if we're going to win our neighbors back, if we're going to win our coworkers or our supervisors back in those moments, then there's a couple things that you and I cannot do because they have no capacity to fix the relationship. They have no capacity to win them back into relationship with us. Here's one, th here's one thing. It just never works. It's when you and I decide to right fight. It's when you and I decide to prove to them that we are right and that they are wrong. Isn't it true that the vast majority of our arguments are all about affixing blame and percentages of wrongness? I mean, how many times have you heard words something like this coming out of your mouth? No, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know that I said really, really, really hurtful words about your mother and her combat boots. I know, I know, I did. But here's the reason, look, 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 look. The only reason I said those horribly, horrible, hurtful things is because you drew first blood. And I was just reacting to your initial wrongness. To which they will always say, well, no, 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 that wasn't first blood. The only reason I did what I did is because before I did what I did, you did something to me. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, you have never experienced a time when arguing for rightness actually restored anything. It always, it always creates distance. Here's why, guys. Look, if somebody's going to win the argument, then somebody has to lose the argument. How many of you in here would just go, Lynn, you know, you're just being honest and stop, we're not affixing any blame, okay, none of that. How many would say, Lynn, I'll just be honest, I'm usually the best arguer in the room. You know what's really interesting is when a husband and a wife both raise their hand. <laughs> and here's what you need to know, because guys, I, believe me, I, the vast majority of rooms I walk into, I'm the best arguer, which means I have the capacity to win most fights, which means the majority of people around me have to lose. And what you and I need to know is that when we win the argument, we lose the relationship. We immediately cause them to go, see, I knew they weren't going to hear me. I knew they were ever going to admit their responsibility. I knew it. And we actually push their hearts further away from us. And instead of winning our brother, we are losing our brother when we decide to right fight. It's interesting because uh, my niece is getting married. 
And so yesterday at my house, they held a shower, which meant my house went really, really pink yesterday, just everywhere. And I had to go to the back room to survive. But in the midst of that, uh, my niece's aunt, uh, my sister, uh, wrote her a little note. I, I didn't know this because I don't attend uh, showers. Um, but apparently, one of the things you do at showers is you write notes of advice to the bride-to-be. And so my sister writes this note to our niece. Do not fight to win. Fight for your marriage. I wonder, I wonder how many painful moments, I, I wonder how many times of beating her head against a wall it took for my sister to realize that. And now there was a moment in which a mature, godly woman is saying to a young gal who's getting ready to be married for the first time, let me tell you how to avoid a ton of pain. Don't fight to win, don't fight to win because that means your spouse has to lose. Fight to fix. Fight to heal. There's a second thing. Uh, not only is it completely counterproductive to fight to be right, but you realize that the response to people who fight to be right is usually to go underground. Uh, it's usually to start what I call the chalkboard in the relationship. Because here's what happens. Uh, we had some disagreements. We had some fights in the early days. And every single time we did that, the other person won. Nothing got resolved. All I had to do was lose. And so somewhere right about in here, I said to myself, it's never going to get better. Nothing's ever going to get fixed. That's just one more discussion I lost. And so you stop talking about it, and you simply begin to quietly keep score. And every single time they do whatever they're going to do and won't listen to what they're going to listen and didn't even bother to talk about it, you just add one more mark. Here's the problem. That board will get full. And keeping score has no capacity to bring any healing or any fixing to the relationship. Matter of fact, the reality is, whether you realize it or not, if you're a scorekeeper in here, you, you look back and you go, I can't even tell you what those were. I, I can't even tell you the specific. Here's all I know is, when I made the mark, I was fair. They really did do something, and then I just put the mark. And somewhere, somewhere about right in here, I was done. Because with every single mark, you ready for this? With every single mark, I withdrew just a tiny piece of my heart from the relationship. And so somewhere about right, I just said, that's it. And everything since then, I've just been a martyr. This is, this is why you'll get couples in counseling. And all of a sudden, the guy will be in the room and you go, wow, I had no idea our relationship was this bad. I thought it was going really, really good because I was winning every fight. So I thought we were really healthy. I had no idea she was putting marks down. So I, I guess we need some counseling. And guess what she says by this point? No, 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 no. I asked you for counseling way back here and you weren't interested. 
And I have lost my love for you drip by drip, mark by mark. And the truth is right now, I, I have absolutely no love for you. I have no energy for this. Matter of fact, I, there's not one part of me that even wants this relationship to work anymore. Because I am cooked. And here's what you need to know if you're a marker, if you're a chalkboard writer. This, this behavior has never, ever, ever, ever fixed a relationship. It, there is no moment in which that behavior brings health. It's why Jesus said, look, if it's bothering you that bad, if it's something you're saying, hey, we can't do this, then you have to get up. I don't care if the last 10 times they didn't listen. I don't care. Get up and go and fight for the relationship. Fight for health. Fight for healing. Because when you get here, there won't be any fight left in you. So instead, you work to fix. See, it's moments when you go, look, look, here's the deal. I don't get why you bought an Easter dress. You've got plenty of dresses. And if you're not careful, all of a sudden that becomes, you know, hey, I deserve a dress. I haven't bought a dress in six months, and I can't remember when you bought a dress because I don't keep track of your dresses, but it's too much money. I didn't buy me a dress. And you get off into right fighting. Or he hollers or she stomps off or whatever it is and someone puts a mark. Who cares? Don't win an argument. Win a brother. Win a sister. And how much more powerful than the moment say, look, 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 look. Could we just talk about how not to do this to each other again? Can, can we just talk about, you know, maybe you having an allowance or me having an allowance or, or coming to an agreement about how much we spend without talking to it? Can we just, can we talk about something that brings fixing and health to the relationship so we don't ever treat each other this way forward? Can we fight to fix instead of fighting to win? Hey, guys, guys, think about this. Think about this for a second. If every time somebody bothered you, you went to them and said, hey, let's deal with it, if it was worth dealing with. And, and if in that moment you didn't fight for right, you didn't put marks against each other on the chalkboard, and you actually negotiated how going forward you were going to treat each other with honor and respect and fix it, do you realize that 90% of all of the relational struggles you have would be gone if you just obeyed verse 15? And the reason it's not is because we haven't gone. Back to the passage. Because some of you are sitting there already going, well, well, what if I go and they don't listen? And you need to know that Jesus already anticipated your question. So here we go. Uh, it's verse 16. Jesus says, but if they will not listen to you. So apparently Jesus met your mother-in-law. <laughs> I already understood this question. Okay. What if they won't listen to you? Then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So, look, 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 look. so Jesus is doing this primarily in the context of church, but it applies all the way across, right? And what he's basically saying, look, look, look. When you sit down and if you begin the conversation, you're trying to work toward a fix and you can't get there because the person you're talking to goes, no, no, no. I don't, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to behave how I'm going to behave. I'm not interested. I, I think you're being unreasonable in what you're proposing. No. No. 
that in that moment, then you have to say, hey, look, here's the deal. I'm just saying to you, if we continue to go the way we're going, this thing's fractured. This thing gets to an ugly place. We need outside eyes. We need somebody who can look at this objectively and say to me, look, I'm, I'm overblowing this. I'm, I'm being too sensitive about this. Or, hey, you're not being sensitive. But we need somebody with godly wisdom to take a look and objectively speak into our lives. So if you're in the church, that means maybe going to your small group leader or going to your Sunday school, your small church leader. Maybe it's going to a pastoral staff person saying, look, we, I, we just know that what's happening right now isn't on a good track. We need some outside input. Maybe it's counseling for someone to be able to objectively look in. If, if you're at work, sometimes it's going to a supervisor saying, hey, look, maybe I, maybe I don't understand the culture here. Maybe I don't know what it's like to be a good employee. I just need someone to speak into this for me. And get objective eyes. Good godly wisdom. You, re, you realize that somebody who's not involved, not in the midst of the yuck that you're in the middle of, looking at it has the capacity to see what's going on with you way more clearly than you have the capacity to see. You understand that, right? Matter of fact, all the time, I'll, I'll invite couples to go out with, to dinner with Lisa and I, just so that Lisa can see what their marriage is like and then come home and go, Lynn, you're a great husband. I mean, wow, wow. All of a sudden, it changes perspective, right? So if I ever invite you to dinner, you know why I'm doing No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. teasing. But but you get the moment, right? All of a sudden, you go, wow, okay? And, And the ability to look in with objective outside eyes and just go, hey, look, I'm just telling you. I know that frustrates you about your wife, but I'm just telling you, if you keep responding that way, if you keep doing that, you're gonna lose her heart. And I'm just telling you, every wife is going to withdraw if her man treats her that way. It's the ability to look at a wife and say, hey, look, look, I know, I know. I know you've got fear. I know you've got a lot of trepidation from past relationships that went the wrong way. But you're imposing on him something that he didn't earn. And you're going to have to find healing in yourself and not make him pay for old relationships. And it's the ability for someone to come in and speak godly wisdom into the thing you're trying to navigate. It's called the appeal process. We can't get this done ourselves. We're appealing to someone else to speak wisdom into this moment. I had a friend called me up a while back and he just said, Lynn, I, man, I, I think I'm going to quit my job and I just need you to be in prayer for that because I'm probably going to be looking for a new job real quick and I go, well, what, you know, what's going on? He says, well, it's kind of weird, and, you know, I came in, I knew it was a little funky in the first place. I've got this guy that I kind of work with, but sometimes he's sort of my boss, and then sometimes he's not my boss, but he thinks he's always my boss, and it's just, it's just been weird, and he's putting his stuff into stuff he doesn't have any business, it's just been hard, and I've, I've gone and I've talked to him about it, and he just says, no, 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 this is how it is, and this is what it is, and you better, you know, just suck it up, because this is how it's going to be from now on. And he said, Lynn, it's just, it's just so bad. I, I can't even hardly stand going into work. I, so I'm just, I think I'm going to quit. To which I asked him, you ready? You've gone to him, you've talked to him, but have you appealed? Have you gone to a supervisor? Have you gone to someone else who can put honest eyes on this and just said, hey, this is how it is feeling to me. This is the unfairness that seems to be good. I just need someone to speak honestly to me. You know, maybe I don't understand what my responsibilities are. Maybe, maybe I should just be a little tougher skinned, but I need someone to speak. And he goes, well, no, I haven't done it because here's the deal. This guy actually ran off the last guy in my position. 
So I'm pretty sure I know where the leadership's going to land on this. I, I, I think I already know the answer, so I probably just need to get my resume out and pack up and go. And I said to my friend, don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare. I mean, think about it. You're going to lose your job either way. Might as well do it in flames. <laughs> right? So go to the supervisor. Go to the supervisor and say, hey, look, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to cause problems. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be the... Not, and, and maybe I just need to hear that I need to be a different type of employee, that I need to bring more to the table. But let me explain to you what's going on and tell you with sincerity, I'm probably done. I, it's probably time for me to look, and I just want to be honest and tell you. And so he goes to the supervisor, and he just says, hey, I, you know, this is what it is, and this is how this relationship, and, and I'm just going to say with sincerity, if you need to say something to me about how I've been as an employee, I'll hear that, but I, I think I'm done. I think I need to leave. Anybody want to guess what happened? The supervisors immediately said to him, no, 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 no. They turned around and that afternoon released the other guy. I take it you got a supervisor problem? Monday, Monday, go. They not only released the other guy, you ready for this one? And then they promoted my friend. Okay? And guys, I'm not, I'm not here telling you that that's how it turns out every time. I'm just simply saying to you, it could not have turned out that way. There was no chance for it if he hadn't appealed. If he hadn't gone in and said, look, I just, I just need to say this out loud. I need somebody who's not me and somebody who's not him to look at this with honest eyes, and I need reflection. And guys, some of you, your marriage needs to hold up a hand and appeal and go, I need some honesty. Some of you have relationships with your neighbors and you just need, hey, I need a referee on this. I just need someone to put honest eyes on this. It's the appeal process. And then finally, verse 17, if they still refuse, if, if they, after all of that, I mean, there's nothing anyone can do. I mean, they are just stuck where they're stuck, and they're not going to hear from anybody, and they're just going to be stubborn about it. I mean, that's just all it is, okay? If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen to the church, uh, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, that can be a lot of fun. No. No. All right, so let, let me, here's what Jesus is saying. Ready, ready, ready? Jesus is saying it's okay to put up healthy fences and boundaries. That's what he's saying. So let, let me help you get there. So when it says, hey, wait a minute, if this person's going to come in and they're going to keep acting like a pagan even after they come to church, or they're going to keep acting like a tax collector inside the congregation, then you need to say to them, hey, no, 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 no. You can't do that here. Because what it's really saying is, hey, look, you can't come into the church Act like you're going to follow Jesus and still go out and sleep around with anybody you want to sleep around with. Go out and, and get falling down drunk every single night. You can't go out there and curse everybody. You can't do that because you're actually degrading the name of Jesus. You're, you're going to cause people out there to go, why do I need God when you act just as worse than my friends? And so if you're going to act like a pagan, you can't do that in the body. Uh, the tax collector comment. You realize that the very, very premise of tax collecting during this period of time was to extort people. And so what the Romans would say is, hey, you're going to collect a 9% tax, but anything you can collect above that, you get to keep yourself. So tax collectors were charging 20 and 25% tax and keeping all that money themselves and extorting people. 
And they're saying, no, you're not going to come into the church and extort the church. You're not going to do that. And we're just going to create healthy boundaries and say, look, 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 if that's how you're going to live, if that's how you're going to behave, you're simply not going to do it here. Which means there may be moments in your life where you have to say to a friend who keeps borrowing your tools and then never returns them, hey, I love you. And I'm not throwing you away, and I'm not saying I won't be your friend. I'm just saying I'm not going to loan you any more tools. We're just going to put up some healthy boundaries in our life. It was interesting. I had a gal come to me a couple years ago, and she said, Lynn, I'm in this really, really awkward spot because the person that I'm dealing with, the people that I'm dealing with are my own parents. And she said, it's interesting because, you know, we've gone to them, we tried to explain to them why we think this is a problem, but the, the deal is my dad just has the most horrible mouth. I mean, he makes truck drivers blush, and, and, and he's got crude kind of sexual stuff that he just kind of says in front of the kids. And she said, I just, I just, I just can't even, I can't have that in my home. My kids are hearing things that I just, I just don't want my kids to hear at this point in their lives. And then she said, if that wasn't bad enough, my mom, my mom is so racist. She just over and over and over makes these just horrible comments about anybody who's part of any other group. And she said, I don't want my kids hearing that. And she said, I, you know, I've gone to them, I've talked to them, and they won't change. I said, so my next question was, have you appealed? Have you asked others with clean eyes to come in? She said, yeah, we actually had a family meeting. My brothers, my sisters came in. They all sat down with my parents, and they just said, hey, mom and dad, you can't do this. We feel the same way about our kids, and you've got to stop. And they just said, hey, that's who we are. That's just what we do. And I said to her, then it's time. It's time to put up healthy boundaries. It's time to parent your parents. And so here's what you need to go back and say is, look, here's the deal, mom, dad, I love you, and I'm not throwing you away, but here's the deal, you can't come into our house and say things like that in front of our kids. You can't say things that are sensual, you can't use vulgar language like that, you can't be racist in front of you, you just can't. And you just need to know that the next time you do that, the moment you do that, we're going to invite you to leave. Visit over. And mom and dad, you know, here's the deal. If we're at your house, and I know it's your house, so you can do whatever you want to do in your house, but you just need to know if we're visiting and the language goes there, or if the conversation becomes like that, then we're simply going to grab the kids and say, visit done, and we're going to head home. We're going to put up healthy boundaries. Not because we don't love you, but just because we're not going to do life like that together. So Jesus walks us through. What do you do when a relationship is broken? It says, get up and go. Don't you dare be packed. Get up and go. And don't fight to be right. And don't put marks against somebody. Fight to fix. And if they won't hear you, if they won't discuss it, then you raise your hand and you say, hey, look, I think we need counseling. Or I think we need outside eyes. We need somebody to speak honestly to both of us so that we can understand what to do next. And then if one in the relationship just says, no, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, then at that point, you put up healthy boundaries. Which leaves you and I at that moment that says, so what do we do now? Where do we go from here? And the answer is, some of us, some of us who've been sitting in silence and marking the marks against somebody else need to do some erasing and some forgiving. Need to be able to say, look, 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 here's the deal. 
I mean, all of that was valid, but we never dealt with that. So can we just start from here? Can we just start clean? And can we talk about fixes? How we're going to treat each other going forward so that we can win the relationship back. Some of us in the room, you've won every fight. But you've won every fight by wounding someone else and making them lose. And you need to go back and apologize and say, that wasn't fair to the relationship. Because this wasn't about me winning and you losing. And I just, I just want to know, will you forgive me for my tactics? Will you forgive me for my strategies? And can we win the relationship back to a place of health? Can we fix this thing? No wonder, no wonder, no wonder, Jesus said, go. Go win your brother. Go win your sister. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come to the moment. And we're just asking, give us the courage to do something that's not intuitive and it's not natural for us that in the moments that we're frustrated, in the moments we feel like we've been wronged or hurt, would you give us the courage to get up and say, I've got to go win my brother. I've got to go win my sister. I've got to figure out how we move from here in health. God, we've, we've got people in this room right now whose relationships are far enough in the ditch that they need to appeal. They need to raise a hand and say, you know what, I just got to say out loud, this is, this is headed towards such unhealth. And if we don't have godly eyes, if we don't have an honest perspective and someone to speak truth into us about how we're behaving, this ends ugly. Some of us in this room just need to put up healthy boundaries. We just need to say to somebody, hey, you know what, I love you but we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to treat each other this way from here on out. And so we're just going to put up healthy fences. But God, in the end, help us to win the relationship. Help us to win our brother and sister back to our side. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.